Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of the Lay the Points podcast. I am your host, Kendall Caps. So, unfortunately, we got a late start this week, you know, with everything that occurred in the NFL on Monday night, which I'd like to open the show and and just you know, send my thoughts and prayers to DeMar Hamlin and his family and everything that they're going through. You know, when that first occurred on Monday night, that tragic uh, accident, I think the whole country and the world, we were in a bit of shock. Uh, But here we are now toward the end of the week. And a lot of the news has been really positive. He actually was able to shock his teammates, his Bills teammates, and zoom in to one of their team meetings today. And I can only imagine how many smiles that brought to to the faces in that locker room. And I think probably helped them refocus. But in terms of the show, you know, I didn't want to dive into any NFL stuff earlier in the week. Obviously, we didn't know with all that going on, would there be a week 18, how that will affect playoff scenarios, all that stuff. And now that it appears we have most of the answers to those questions, along with the latest injury reports and all of that news out, it made a lot more sense that, you know, now we can go forward and and take on the week 18 schedule. But before I dive into that, you know, I really want to take a look at the NCAA championship coming up on Monday night. So Georgia is looking to become the first team in a decade since Alabama to go back-to-back and win national champions in in consecutive seasons. And the way that they escaped against Ohio State was pretty nuts. I mean, to be honest, the the semifinal, that seven hours of college football, if you got a chance, just as a football fan, if you got a chance to watch those games, that was some captivating thrilling television and I thoroughly enjoyed it and even though it broke my heart early on as I've mentioned before on the show I'm a really big Michigan supporter I was really hoping we were going to pull through and multiple times we put pressure on TCU and so you know when we look ahead to this game Georgia they're laying 12 and a half against the against the against TCU against the Horn Frogs and you know that's a pretty big number for a team that continues to defy the odds, you know, so they beat Michigan 51 45 in probably one of the craziest, craziest games that I've ever seen. And when you take a look at that game, really, I think Michigan dug themselves into a bit of a hole. They, they were making a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes that you don't normally see from them. Their opening drive, they march down the field. They have a fourth and goal in the two. And with that, offensive line that is so highly touted they had already ripped off a 59 yard run on the first play of the game they try a trick play that blows up in their face then they complete a pass later in the game down to the one yard line after a questionable decision by the the referees and then they fumble the snap on the one giving those points away I mean there were numerous mistakes and despite that Michigan continued to press never gave up continued to cut into the lead. They got it to one possession a couple times. And just when you think they're, they have the momentum to be able to take the game away from TCU to the Horn Frogs credit, 
They did not back down. They just made plays. And it wasn't even Max Duggan doing it for the most part. He actually had a really subpar game for, for his standards. He completed just 14 of 29 passes for 225 yards, a couple scores, and a couple picks. And of those 225 yards, more than half of them were yak yards. It was hit a guy out in the flat, and he breaks it for 75. Um, so it was really their ability to run the football against Michigan's front, which I don't think a lot of people thought that was going to happen, at least not as successful as successfully as they did. And making it even more impressive, their all Big 12 running back, Kendra Miller, was hurt. He suffered a knee injury in that game. You know, this season he ran for 1,400 yards and 17 touchdowns and had an unreal year. He goes down late in the first half with a knee injury. And their backup, Amari DiMercato, ran for 150 yards in this almost all in the second half. It was really impressive to see them winning the battle at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And I think they they talked about it after the game. They had heard all the talk from Michigan and people saying the Big Ten is going to bring their, their big, beefy you know, linemen and they're going to mow them down. And they took that quite personally. And now when you look at Georgia, I'm sure that a lot of people are expecting, well, all right, well, Georgia will then will be the one that can expose them. And they they play that 3-3-5 rush defense. And when you're looking at this game, unlike Michigan, who was unable to take advantage of that, you know, very interesting and, uh, you know, most teams aren't playing a 3-3-5 defensively. And a lot of times you can run, especially in two tight end sets. And one part of that Michigan TCU game that got overlooked a bit was Michigan losing their uh, their uh, tight end, Luke Schoonmaker, who not only was the team's second leading receiver this year, he's a really good blocker, a big body, and allowed them to run two tight end sets much of the year. And so, and he he left early in the first quarter. And I think that really hurt because beyond that opening 59-yard run by Edwards, Michigan didn't do very much at all on the ground. You know, they, they picked up a couple chunk yardage plays later in the game in the fourth quarter when they were making a comeback. And I think TC was probably playing coverage quite often when they were up double digits. But for the most part, they couldn't move the football on the ground. And, you know, here comes Georgia, who also runs a lot of two tight end sets and might have the best tight end in the country, certainly one of them in Darnell Washington, um, so it will be an interesting matchup to see whether Georgia can move the ball on the ground uh, against TCU and do something that Michigan wasn't able to do. Um, and on the line, it opened at 13 and a half, has since come down to 12 and a half. And, you know, when you look at TCU this season, they've played in seven one score games, a number of 10 point wins as well. Um, and it's, it's hard to if to put money on Georgia, to be honest. It's hard not to believe TCU, at the very least, can't cover a line this big. I was really surprised when I saw it came out. They were seven and a half point dogs against Michigan. They go out and they lead by double digits for the vast majority of that game. And they're rewarded by being 13 and a half point dogs against Georgia, a team that, you know, just barely got by Ohio State. 
and there was some questionable calls that allowed them to get by there. And when when they knocked out Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr. toward the end of the first half on what looked like, to be honest, a textbook targeting call that wasn't called. Um, and instead of Georgia losing a key player in their secondary, Ohio State lost their most explosive player for the rest of the game. And, I mean, that was a big turning point in that game. And keep in mind, I'm a Michigan fan, so I was obviously rooting against Ohio State. And even I was saying that, yeah, that's targeting. Um, so, you know, they Ohio State, you could argue, should have easily won that football game. They also led by double digits for much of it as well. So it was surprising to see the line come out and be as large as it was. Knowing all of that, I, it's still hard to believe TCU's magic can continue. If I had to go with one side, I guess I will, I will take the points and take TCU. But really... Out of all of this, I think I like the over a lot. It's sitting at 62 and a half. Eight of the last 10 years, the championship game has been played in the 60s or 70s. It's not like it used to be when, all right, we're in the title game. We're going to feel things out a little bit early. No, we haven't been seeing that. We've been seeing a lot of scoring in the title game. In knowing neither of these defenses, we just saw both of them get shredded by good but not elite offenses, or at least Michigan um doesn't have an elite offense ohio state certainly does um i really think this game sails past the 62 this one it feels like it's in the mid 60s at the lowest and might even you know reach into the 70s so if i'm going one way in this game i think the overs or is the the best bet to play it i want to transition a little bit to uh one of our previous previous segments that we've tackled and the back to the future segment so you know, we, we talked in the last couple of weeks about certain futures bets that were really, really solid, providing solid value for you as a better. And one of them a few weeks back, I think about a month ago, I talked about, I said, right now, if you bet the Bengals to win the AFC North, the Bucks to win the NFC South, and the Titans to win the AFC South, you were going to get, it was about two and a half to one on your money. And you needed to parlay those three together to get two and a half to one. And that's because we basically knew the Bengals were probably going to win that division. We knew the Bucks were probably going to win that division. The only question was the South and the AFC. So I said, but the smart thing to do is then hedge that. And you were getting better odds at the time with, with Jacksonville because they were a game back at the time. And so you put a little less money and just substitute Tennessee with Jacksonville. So I made those two bets a month ago. Heading into tomorrow night's game, I literally cannot lose. If Jacksonville wins, I'm going to win 60 bucks. If Tennessee wins, I'm going to win 160 bucks. I cannot lose. And anytime you're in a position where you can't lose, that's a great game to watch. I know I'm going to enjoy it thoroughly. And that's not the only opportunity when you're looking at futures where you can take advantage of a Vegas, of Vegas, uh, Certain player awards we talked about in, in previous weeks. So the NFL Defensive Player of the Year, we've known for weeks Nick Bosa is winning that award. Um, offensive Rookie of the Year, Kenneth Walker is looking like he might run away with it now. Um, and to be honest, a lot of these have been taken off the board. Last week we talked about grabbing Mahomes now because the odds were only going to get even worse. Now, individually, Laying minus 500, which is what Mahomes was at last week, 
you know, what's the point of betting $100 to win 20? I mean, that's why they put those lines where they are, because most people aren't. It's not worth your buck, right? But you put Mahomes with Bosa with if there's another one that really stands out. I've talked about a few NBA ones. We know Paulo Bancaro is going to win NBA of the rookie rookie of the year. Like that's that's a given at this point, despite half a season to go. You put those three together, all of a sudden you're getting better than even money. And those are three things we know are going to happen. That's another example of where you can take advantage of Vegas. Um, and so I've been doing that all season and I've been cleaning up and I hope you guys can join me for the ride. Um, so now Let's look ahead to the final week of the regular season in the NFL, the week 18 lines. And there's quite a few games. There's obviously a lot going on this weekend in terms of playoff seeding. And a lot of times, many of the top seeds or many of the playoff teams are locked into certain positions, but that's certainly not the case this week. In the NFC, you have three teams still alive for the one seed. Minnesota can jump from the three to the two. We don't even know who the seven seed is. There's three teams fighting for the seven. In the AFC, everything's topsy-turvy, partly partially because of the Hamlin situation with the Bills. Um, and in toward the bottom, outside of the seven seed, it appears like the five and the six, we probably know are going to be Chargers-Ravens. We just don't know the order necessarily. Um, even though as I go into some of the stuff with these games, I think we do really know what's going to happen there. Um, so I want to start in the NFC, though, and take a look at the Minnesota-Chicago game. I think we all know at this point that Minnesota is not nearly as good as their record. Uh, you know, they're a 12-4 and football team. They've played a ton of one-score games, and to their credit, they win most, if not all, those one-score games. But every time that they've played a legit football team, they've been taken out to the woodshed just about, including last week against Green Bay. And the line against the Bears this weekend in Chicago opened at seven and a half. It's been bet down to five and a half, which is really interesting to me. And I'm really happy that they have done that because not only am I taking the Vikings to cover that line, I'm also using it in teasers as well, so they don't even have to cover a line. That erases the spread entirely uh, with it sitting at five and a half. There's just so much value reeking here, and a lot of it is because of Nathan Peterman. The Bears are starting Nathan freaking Peterman as their quarterback. He hasn't started a game since 2018. For his career, he's thrown three TDs and 13 picks. He's played in 12 games total in his NFL career, and... We, we all know he is not very good. Justin Fields was not happy reportedly with the decision to rest him for the final week of the season, but it makes sense. The Bears have nothing to play for. They don't really want to win this game because they still have an outside shot at getting the number one overall pick if if they were to lose and the Houston Texans win. Uh, and despite how well Justin Fields had helped them put up points in a number of games over the last six, seven weeks, they've still lost nine straight. They haven't won any of those games. Now, they've covered a bunch of spreads during that time, but again, that's with Fields scoring points. Knowing Minnesota still has plenty to play for, and there is one aspect to this game that is being overlooked by a lot of betters. And again, I'm happy to take advantage of that. The fact that they've now brought that line down is this is the only game among the top four seeds in the NFC that takes place in the morning. That's a huge advantage for Minnesota. 
they can set the tone for the day going into the day. If they're playing at the same time as everyone else, someone scoreboard watching, they see that San Fran is up big on Arizona, which they're probably going to be. And so then maybe you pull some of your starters, but there is no reason for them to take the foot off the gas in this game, since they're the only ones playing in that morning window. So they're not only going to put their foot on the gas, they're going to continue to score and coming off that drubbing against green Bay, their head coach who, you know, is a very aggressive uh, of an aggressive mindset is not the kind of guy who's going to start pulling guys when they could still potentially move up from the three to the two. I mean, that's a, a big difference because that guarantees you get two home playoff games if they if they're able to win in San Francisco loses. And again, if San Francisco was playing at the same time, someone scoreboard watching, they see it's not happening. And that takes away so much of the juice from the Vikings in this game. But them playing alone in that early window is a big factor in this game. And it's one of the primary reasons why I, why I really like Minnesota to bounce back and cover that five and a half. Now let's jump over to the AFC to the win in in game on Saturday for the AFC South. The one I mentioned earlier that I'm going to love watching because if the Jags win, I win money. And if the Titans win, I win money. It doesn't matter who wins because I took advantage of, you know, certain things that we know are going to happen in football. And, and if you don't, that's fine. I do. And you can listen to me. I'm printing money at this point week after week. So I implore you to start jumping on the train. Now, when we take a look at this game specifically, obviously the Jags, they've been playing really well. Their offense is, you know, it it looks from all accounts that Trevor Lawrence has certainly turned a corner and taken that next step and progression in his career to become one of the better quarterbacks potentially in the league. But I'm not, I'm not so sure that they're a, a, a sure bet to even win this game, never mind cover a six and a half point spread over under sitting at 39 and a half. You know, I, I have to believe that Mike Vrabel is going to have the Titans ready. They basically rested their team last week. The Jags played everyone. The Titans rested almost everyone. Uh, now, Bud Dupree was put on IR. That's a blow to their linebacking core, but they get Jeffrey Simmons back fully healthy. Obviously, Derrick Henry is fully healthy when they didn't play last week. That was just to rest him for this game because we all knew last week didn't matter. And, you know, Malik Willis isn't starting. That's also notable. Not that Josh Dobbs is anything to write home about, but Dobbs at least helped move the football against the Cowboys in their last game with primarily backups uh, against, you know, at least on paper, a good defense in Dallas, even though they've been underperforming as of late. But Dobbs is at least a competent quarterback. So don't get me wrong. The Jags easily could win and cover this game. But I believe in the toughness. And I like that the mindset that the team had not playing anyone last week. Uh, Amani Hooker looks like he's probably coming back. Traylon Burks, he's questionable to play and hasn't practiced. But you have to believe with everything on the line, if he's not going to play in this game, what do you, I mean, what are you playing for? Uh, so I'm guessing he's also going to be playing, and they wanted to just rest him up this week. The Jags are pretty healthy, and so there's plenty of reasons, like I said, to really like Tennessee. In particular, I like the Titans in the first half. They get three and a half as the first half line. And again, I think they're going to come out and and try to play physical football, run the football effectively, which you can do against the Jags. 
and that will slow the game down or excuse me, speed the game up and have fewer possessions for Jacksonville. So I really like the Titans plus three and a half in the first half. Ultimately, similar to the college game, I really like the over here more than anything because I do think that the Jags' ability to throw the ball against that really poor Titans secondary could ultimately win the day and they hit some big throws down the field and make some plays for the air and end up covering that six and a half. It is a little scary. So if I'm going Titans, I like Titans first half, but overall I like the over at 39 and a half. I think we're going to see both teams getting in the end zone in this game. Uh, So knowing you just need 40 to hit that number, I'm going with the over. Let's stay in the AFC to a game that I'll be honest, not myself, nor almost anyone, I think, could have predicted that we'd be in this position. But the Pittsburgh Steelers still have a shot at the playoffs. They were two and six and dead in the water a couple months ago. They're now eight and eight. And to their credit, Mike Tomlin still has a chance to continue his streak of never having a losing season. He's never had a losing season as a head coach. He's been with the Steelers since 2007. They're favored by two and a half at home against the Browns over and under sitting at 40 and a half. You know, it's interesting to see this line at two and a half. I would have thought it would have been maybe three and a half or four, it being in Pittsburgh. I'm not fooled by Cleveland's win against Washington last week. I mean, we had already talked about how that line was really funny looking, why it wasn't more. Wentz threw three picks. Why in the world they went back to Wentz, who knows? Their head coach, Ron Rivera, literally did not even know that they could be eliminated if they lost that game which they then lost and were eliminated. How we are in 2023 and an NFL head coach is unaware that his team can be eliminated with a loss is beyond me, but that's the ineptitude of the Washington commanders at this point. And so I'm not taking much away from Cleveland's win. They still didn't look that, you know, they didn't look very good offensively. Uh, Their defense looked pretty decent, but I think it had more to do with Washington and, and Carson Wentz. Meanwhile, the Steelers, like I talked about, who were left for dead, they have so much that they're playing for, and they're playing at the same time as the Dolphins and the Patriots, the team they need to lose. So it's not like they're later in the day and they found out, ah, we're out of it. Like, they're going to be going balls to the walls the whole way. And let's keep in mind, uh, Mike Tomlin, since he took over at Pittsburgh, he's 24-7 and against the Browns. They've owned this series Browns have won a couple lately because it used to be even worse. Um, but And we've seen Kenny Pickett showing ice in his veins. The last couple of weeks, the win against Baltimore to go on the road, have that last-minute touchdown drive. He did it against Vegas the week before when it was three degrees. Uh, Najee Harris is starting to look like himself again. He's making plays on the ground. The Steelers' defense is looking a lot better. You know, I, it is interesting to me that This line's only two and a half. And again, I thought it should have been a little bit more than that. But knowing that, I think there's a lot of value in the Steelers here. I think they're going to play really, really hard for Mike Tomlin. And they just have to win by a field goal. I have to like Pittsburgh in this spot. Now we can jump to the NFC. Um, Actually, you know what? From here, I think it makes a lot of sense because we've already gone through some stuff. And There are so many other games, so many games between teams that are either both eliminated, so you never know what in the world is going to happen, or so many games where there's just two, 
there are too many situations where either everyone is resting or, you know, and we see this frequently in the final week of the regular season, there there's too much uncertainty. So that's why there were really only two games that stood out where I love with the line or a couple games, the ones that we just went over uh, Minnesota and Pittsburgh in particular. And then the Tennessee one, like I said, I think I like the first half, but I want to transition now to what has been our biggest moneymaker all season long, and that's Kendall's Corner. Every week, I come on the show, and I talk about how you can take advantage of Vegas. And anyone that's out there that's playing parlays, excuse me, using spreads is silly. That's, I mean, those are essentially sucker bets, and Vegas has built buildings off of those types of bets. But not all parlays are sucker bets. Money line parlays are literally money makers. So far this year, we're 10 and four on our money line parlays. And it's because if you know football as well as we do here on the show, every week in the NFL, there's at least three, sometimes four, maybe five. Some weeks this week, I feel very confident. I know eight winners that are almost a certain guarantee that they're going to win. But every week, there's at least a few that we know they're going to win. And if, you know, individually, they're at minus 500, minus 600, minus 800, whatever it might be. And it makes it so that it's not worth betting on that money line because you know they're going to win, but you're going to bet 100 bucks to what? Win 10 bucks? It's not worth the risk. But when you put a few of those together, now all of a sudden you turn that into an even money bet or a plus 150 or a plus 200 depending upon exactly what the odds are in this week is no different. And interestingly in week 18, it tends to be one of the more difficult weeks for this because you have so many teams locked into playoff position. You don't know if they're going to rest starters this week, this week, 18, it, that's not the case with so many teams. Like I talked about Philly, San Fran, Dallas can all get the one seed. Minnesota can still jump to the two with the San Fran loss. Only Tampa and the giants are locked locked into their playoff seeds in the NFC. And then in the AFC, everything is crazy right now um, outside of the, the five, six spot. So in luckily for us, not only do we know that the really good teams are going to be playing balls to the walls and trying to win, but they happen to all be playing terrible football teams, starting third string quarterbacks. So as we talked about the Vikings, I'm putting their money line, you know, putting this together with the Vikings money line against the Bears, against Nathan Peterman, taking the Cowboys money line against the Commanders and Sam Howell making his first career NFL start, I believe, against that defense. The 49ers money line against, I can't even remember who Arizona's starting quarterback is because McColt McCoy got, oh, Blow, David Blow is Arizona's quarterback. So they're third stringer. And then the Eagles money line against the Giants who are locked into the playoffs and already announced that they're resting a lot of their starters. And remember, the Cowboys, Niners, and Eagles all start at the same time and can all still get the one seed. Let me say that again. They're all starting at the same time and they all can get the one seed. And they're playing god-awful teams or teams resting all their starters with third-string quarterbacks. This is a perfect storm 
of certainty. We know those teams are going to win on Sunday. So you put those four together, you're getting plus 105. I mean, what do you feel more confident in when you're just placing a bet? Let's say you were looking at the the Packers-Lions game and you feel like, hey, the Packers are going to win that, which, you know, they probably should because the Lions struggle outdoors and all that stuff. But, you know, do you feel more confident in that? Or do you feel more confident that you know these four teams are going to win? I know the Eagles are going to beat the Giants. I know the Niners are going to beat Arizona. I know the Cowboys are going to beat the Commanders. And I know the Vikings are going to beat the Bears. Uh, so I feel far more confident in that. Like I said, this season doing this, we're 10-4. and four. Every one of them have gone off at better than even money. So we're crushing it with these this year. That's the, the money line parlay that we're playing this week. And then there's also a three-team teaser that I looked at. And, you know, I, I think... I've gotten a little greedy the last couple of weeks with my teasers and tried extending it to four or five. And every time I miss one of them and it kills you. So I, I've scaled it back to three because I've played two, three team teasers this year and hit them both. So I'm going really basic, really simple. Cowboys, we can reduce that line from seven to one. So it's just like putting it in the parlay, the money line parlay. It's minus one, it's basically a money line bet. Same thing. We're going to bet the Bills from minus seven down to minus one against New England. And the Vikings, they're five and a half. They're going off at five and a half. You get them to plus one and a half. So it's basically you're reducing those those teams, the Cowboys, the Vikings, who we already talked about, and then the Bills against New England, especially now that they have DeMar Hamlin showing up via Zoom in their, their meeting. You know how galvanized that team is going to be, knowing if they win this, they guarantee that if they play the Chiefs, it will be at a neutral site. They're going to be geared to play. You put those three together, they're basically money line bets when you tease it, and you're going to get plus 140. So that's pretty solid odds uh, for three things that are all but certain to happen. So again, there's certain ways that you can take advantage of Vegas if you know what to bet on and what to put together to make and create value. Um, so we're going to dive more into that as the weeks go by. You know, the NFL playoffs is another animal entirely because unlike the regular season, there aren't three, four or five games. You know who's going to win. It's hard to pick one winner in the playoffs. Um, so we're going to switch it up once that gets around. And also we have... A lot of, you know, NBA postseason isn't too far away. NHL playoffs aren't too far away. The Australian Open is actually going to be starting pretty soon. Next week, we're going to dive into some of that as well, because early on in Grand Slam tennis events, there's a ton of value to be made because, again, there's a number of matches you know who are going to win. So we'll dive into those next week. I hope you guys jump on, on the train this week and follow us into the playoffs. It's been real. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.